Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing all right? Man, I gotta tell you, you guys sound so good. It is just incredibly encouraging to hear the voices uh, as people sing, as you sing loud. Uh, man, I am just encouraged by God's grace and, and the opportunity to be able to worship Him through song and to worship Him through the study of His Word and the hearing of His Word proclaimed. And so, man, I just, uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like no matter where these next few moments go together, that uh, God has been glorified through our service. And so hopefully the next few moments as we study the word together, that this would uh, just be uh, encouraging and edifying as we uh, seek to study the word together. Now, if you've not been with us, we are in First Peter. Uh, we have started the series in First Peter, walking on a pilgrimage with the elect exiles of First Peter. And I'm hoping that as we've already seen the past two weeks, that this week will be another moment of encouragement to all of us uh, from the very word of God. Now, just to kind of give you some background on where we've been, we're in First Peter chapter 1 still, but what we've already seen by this point is Peter has already covered that we as the elect exiles, we have been chosen and therefore set apart by God. Then Peter last week gave us the reasons why we praise God, why we worship God and lift our voices to God, which is found in the living hope that is Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, if you have been reading the New Testament or maybe you're a student of the New Testament, um, you probably have noticed that there seems to be a, a, a standard that many of the letters follow within the New Testament. And so when we compare 1 Peter to the standard that has been set, particularly in the Pauline letters, Peter has already declared who he is. He's now declared who his audience is, and he's offered an exhortation or a word of encouragement. So now, if we're following the trend, he should really jump into some areas of concern that he has for the body of believers, which is the local church. But what we are going to see this morning is Peter does not do that. Rather, Peter in grace takes yet another brief paragraph to continue to encourage and exhort the believers and remind them of, of just how perfect and beautiful and wonderful salvation in Christ Jesus truly is. So uh, before we jump into our passage this morning, I want to ask you for a moment as we share together just to ponder and reflect on salvation. I mean, have you ever paused to think as a believer in Christ about your own salvation and what that salvation truly means. You see, the world defines salvation this way, as preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. And we as Christians literally take that definition one step further, and it means deliverance from sin and its consequences, which is death. And this deliverance was brought on by Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So if we just unpack salvation for a moment, we as believers in Jesus Christ has literally been given the most incredible gift the history of the world has ever known. And upon receiving that gift, we say to one another, we say to ourselves, what did I do to deserve this gift? What did I do to deserve, as we talked about this gift of salvation that is, that is unfading and undefiled, as Peter described it last week? What did I do to deserve this? And God says to us, the answer to that question is nothing. It was simply given to us out of the love that God has us for, for us, for our good, and ultimately for 
his glory. So Peter, still writing to the scattered and persecuted church. He's going to spend a brief moment here in our text writing about how uh, amazing the gift of salvation truly is. And he does so by turning his full attention to the very topic itself when he opens in verse 10 by saying and concerning this salvation. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to 1 Peter. We're going to begin reading in chapter 1 and verse 10. And once you have found your place in the Word and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Peter writes, Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for your word and we thank you for the truth that is found in your word. God, I pray that you would just prepare our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears for just a better understanding of the meaning of our salvation. God, I pray that we would understand the value and the worth that is found in knowing you as Savior and Lord this morning. So God, we pray that as we continue to worship you through the study of your word, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for loving us first, and we praise you in your holy name. Again, Father, we love you. We lift you up now, for it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could briefly, I want to set the scene for you. Peter is now a much older man living uh, living in Rome at this time. He's writing again around AD 62 to AD 65. And Peter is literally writing from a lifetime of wisdom and a lifetime of conviction. Peter, by this point, has experienced Almost everything that life could throw at him, including trials and sufferings, which he's going to describe later in this letter. So Peter, remember, was a young man who had spent three years of his life walking with Jesus Christ. Yet when we read his letter, particularly the chapter one of first Peter, we quickly see that he is not speaking to his experience as the source of his knowledge and authority. We also can note that Peter does not promote himself as a man who has seen it all and as a man who has done it all. Rather, Peter knows that his authority and knowledge comes from the Holy Spirit and says as much when we look at verse 12 when he says, who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter explains how and why he and other prophets can speak with authority. It comes because of the work of the Holy Spirit within their lives. 
And so as we look back at our text this morning and looking over the wonder and the work of our salvation and looking at the wonder and the work of the Holy Spirit and how he works in us and through us according to the word of God, Peter is now going to explain the role of scripture within salvation, which really at this point should cause the church to think more about the salvation that they have in Jesus Christ and what it should also mean to all of us as we hear it today. So again, this morning, let's look at what Peter is talking about when he speaks about the wonder and the mystery that is the salvation that we now have in Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 10. Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied. Now, let's pause there because right out of the gate, Peter is telling us, the central theme of all of Scripture. It is found in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. And so he takes it one step further and tells us this theme within the Word of God is salvation itself. And so in speaking of the prophets, Peter says that God called and appointed men to record his word in the Old Testament concerning salvation. And now Peter, along with others, have now been appointed to continue to record his word concerning salvation within the New Testament. In fact, Paul would agree with this point when he wrote to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. He says, when you read this, You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. You see, both Peter and Paul would agree that this salvation was given to us by God and there is no other source. And yet by God's grace, It was God who has given to some the ability to prophesy, the ability to teach, the ability to exhort according to the word of God. Now, this thought is important because on the back half of verse 10, we learn that the prophets searched and inquired carefully. You see, Peter now writes about the passion and the desire to know more about salvation in Christ that the, that the Old Testament prophets desire to know more of. Peter says, look, this salvation was something that the, the prophets of old longed to discover. They, they wanted to know intimately what the Spirit was saying and what it was that the Spirit was doing. You see, the prophets, according to Peter, We're active agents of revelation when it comes to understanding God and the salvation he offers in Christ. Simply put, Peter is telling the church that salvation is a very big deal. Salvation is not something that's meant to be taken lightly. Salvation is not something that is to be flippantly thrown around as believers in Christ. Rather, salvation is the very foundation of who we are. You see, if there is no Jesus Christ, if there is no death and burial and then resurrection, then there is no salvation. And if there is no salvation, then there is now no hope. And so looking again at the text in the middle of verse 10, we read that the prophet spoke of the grace that was to be yours. Peter again tells the church that the theme of the Bible is itself salvation that is found through faith in Christ. 
So notice the takeaway that Peter gives us right here in verse 10. He tells the church, listen, concerning this salvation, we should be amazed by salvation. We should be amazed at our own salvation because of what Jesus Christ has done to us and through us. Now, we talked about this last week, but Peter takes it one step further today. He says, but you should also be amazed because the prophets of God in the Old Testament longed to look into what salvation is and what salvation means for the believer. They longed to understand what life was like living in the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me unpack what I'm talking about for you this morning. You see, we as believers today have experienced what the Old Testament prophets were only told about in prophecies from God. Salvation that comes from the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord. It's a salvation that we now live in as promise fulfilled, which is what the prophets only heard about and spoke about and could only imagine. I mean, think about this for a moment. Oftentimes as Christians, we reflect upon the goodness of heaven. We long for the day that we are going to be in glory. We talk about the family we're going to see, the friends that we're going to see. Several of us begin talking about how great would it be to just sit down and have a conversation with Moses. Moses, tell us about the Ten Commandments. Tell us about the wandering in the wilderness. Many of us wonder what it must have been like to be Noah. Noah, what was it like to build a massive boat? To have people taunt you and ridicule you only to be proven true? What was it like when water fell from the sky and came from the ground and all of a sudden the thing began to float? We may want to look to Isaiah and say, Isaiah, tell us about the prophecies. Tell us about what you envisioned when God gave you the prophecies of the coming Messiah, the lamb who was slain. We may even begin to wonder about David and and find ourselves with David. David, tell us what it was like. You killed a giant with three stones. Tell us about it. What was it like to be king? What was it like to hit the lowest of valleys only to find yourself back on the highest mountaintops because of God's love for you? Tell us about it. That sounds good and wonderful, right? But I want you to hear what Peter is saying to us this morning. Peter is saying, yeah, they're going to be there and they're going to answer your questions, but think about it from their perspective. They're going to look at us and say to us, hey, listen, we can tell you about all these good and right and wonderful things that God did, but do us a favor, tell us what it was like to live in the promise of Jesus Christ that is found through salvation in Him alone. Tell us about what life was like living in the glorious resurrection. We want to know. You see, Peter is not telling us as Christians that we can brag. We don't don't have a humble brag here, okay? Don't don't mishear me there. I'm not saying we're going to get to heaven all of a sudden. Isaiah, yo, you're cool. A lot of good things about God. I lived in the glorious resurrection of Christ. Step back, brother. That's not what's going to happen. This is not a humble brag at all. However, listen to what Peter is telling the church. He says to the scattered church, the persecuted church, the elected exiles, he says to them, listen, you are now living in a time that the prophets of old could only imagine. You are living in a time that they can only study and think upon. 
Sure, they knew of salvation. Yes, God used them to foretell of salvation, but they didn't see the crucifixion. They didn't see the death and the burial and ultimately the resurrection. They did not live in the life and the work after the glorious resurrection. I mean, think about that for a moment today, Christian. Do you see the wonder and the power that we now have in salvation? Do you you see that we now live in light of the glorious resurrection? It's no longer a prophecy. It's a promise fulfilled, and we live in that promise. I mean, talk about a word of encouragement. But check this out. Peter's not done. Verse 11. He says, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. I mean, come on. Yes, this is a mouthful. And so the best way I can visualize this for you is this. This is like sticking your hand in that goodness that is the assorted bag of Hershey's candy. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know where you stand on the Hershey's bag, but you reach in, you pull out, it is all good. Milk chocolate might be the bottom of the list. Crackle, then good bar, then the special dark. It doesn't matter, it's all good, right? You know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are nodding and smiling because you know, some of you ladies just looked at your spouses and said, why didn't I get that for Mother's Day? That sounds good and right. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, I used to keep a bag in the office. I have to say that in a past tense now because some of you folks come in and you go to work. I mean, it's unbelievable. I asked somebody, one of our members of the church, I was like, are you stress eating right now? They're like, no, I'm just tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. This is, I was like, praise God, we'll enjoy it, you know? Coming back to the text in verse 10 and 11, man, there's a lot of goodness to unwrap here in what Peter is saying. Peter's acknowledging that the prophets were concerned, understandably, with the timing of God's work, whereas Peter stresses the content of God's work and message here. You see, Peter knew that the Old Testament prophets wanted to see salvation come in their day. They wanted to see the coming Messiah within their day. And so they studied it, they analyzed it, they, they hoped for it, but yet Peter here recognizing, recognizes that the timing has always been God's to determine. And so what Peter spends his time focused on is he turns the conversation to what would become the sufferings and the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, spoiler alert, if you stay with us through this series, Peter's actually going to bring this up again and again and again. We're going to see it in chapter 2, chapter 4, and chapter 5. So more on the glory and the suffering and the glory of Jesus Christ to come. Okay? Either way, notice this. Notice that Peter acknowledges that what the prophets were seeking to understand was something that Jesus Christ himself predicted. Do you see it? Do you see it when he says, indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories? Peter is telling the church, look, Jesus called his own shot. He told us that he would suffer. He told us that he would die. And then he told us that he would rise again. Man, he reminds, Peter reminds the church when he says, and he predicted the sufferings of Christ. So here Peter describes to the church that what matters is the good news of Jesus Christ. What matters 
is the suffering, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What matters is the gospel. What matters, according to Peter, is the story that tells of Jesus' birth. It's the story that tells of Jesus' teachings and his encounters and his travels and his miracles. It's the story of suffering, and yet it's the story of glory. It's the story of death, and it's the story of the resurrection. Peter says the story of our God and his love for his creation and desire to be back in right relationship with one another is ultimately what matters. You see, Peter wants the church the elect exiles, those who have been scattered by the dispersion. He wants them to remember the story of salvation. He wants them to speak salvation to one another regularly. He wants them to see and understand how their present suffering pales to what they now have in Jesus Christ. And thus he calls them to encourage one another to endure with hope as their suffering draws them closer to being with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Peter is literally literally telling the church at this point, listen, this is what salvation offers to the believer. Hope. Hope in the midst of heartache. Hope in the midst of hurt. And how do we know this? Well, we have to come back to why Peter is teaching the church about the importance of knowing salvation. He does it through the word. You see, Peter reminds us that it was in the word that the prophets foretold of salvation. He tells us that in the word, Jesus Christ then accomplished salvation. And he tells us that the spirit of God led Peter and others to now explain salvation by the word. So here is our pattern that we have according to the word of God when it comes to salvation. We have prediction of salvation. We have fulfillment of salvation. And then we have interpretation of salvation. You see, we know what we know of salvation because by the grace of God, salvation has been revealed through, uh, to us through Jesus Christ. And now we have the holy word of God to teach us more about salvation and to teach us more about our loving and merciful God who gave salvation freely to the elect exiles. I mean, do we see what it is that we now have in salvation? Do we see the story unfold according to the word of God that has been given to us by the grace of God? As God's people this morning, as the elect exiles, do we desire to know salvation? Do we desire to know the God of the Bible with the same passion and the same fervency as the prophets of old? Or really is the Bible just another book on our bookshelves, just another book that we collect and it simply sits and collects dust? I love what Daniel Doriani says, a professor and scholar says about the word of God. He teaches the scripture contains a great many things, 
But in essence, it describes our creation in God's image, our rebellion and its catastrophic consequences. And then God's plan for restoration announced by the prophets and accomplished in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, when we read the word, we begin to see and learn how God unfolded his redemptive plan for all. And this plan of salvation was known from the beginning. We move from there into verse 12. And in verse 12, the text tells us, and it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Did you pick up on a theme there in verse 12? Did you see the theme? Let me read it to you again. Maybe you can help me. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but who? You. Who did they serve? You. And the things that have now been announced, who, who did they announce to? You. Through those who preach the good news. Who do they preach the good news to? You. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Notice that Peter, uh, Peter teaches here that the prophets not only had a desire to see salvation firsthand, but what they learned of salvation, what was told to them by the grace of God, was meant to be documented to serve the generations to come. In other words, the Old Testament of the Bible was not written in vain. It was not done in vain. This is not a part of the word of God that we should simply discard, but rather it's a part that's meant to be studied so we can understand more of the salvation that we have in Christ and we can understand more of just how great our God is. You see, the Old Testament itself is a part of the word of God that prepares us for the need for salvation and the king who is to come. You see, this work was necessary, is what Peter says. It was necessary for us to understand that God is our God and he's the God who keeps his promise. I mean, do we realize that this message, this book is laid out for us? This salvation was laid out for us and we see it throughout the entire word of God. Now, please don't mishear me this morning, okay? I am not saying to you that in the story of David and Goliath, you were David. That is not true. Not true at all. But what it does mean is this, when we look at the story of David, especially the story of David and Goliath. Listen, your hardship is not Goliath, by the way. Your sin is not Goliath. Stop that. I don't know of any hardship right now that you're going through that you could solve with three stones. That might get you thrown in jail or get you whooped by somebody else. Don't do it. But what I am saying is this, is that when you look at stories like David and Goliath, you're not seeing yourself in that story. Rather, you're seeing the wonder of the work that is God. When David defeats Goliath, that's not us defeating our hardships. That's God being glorified in a circumstance, in a situation that looked bleak. And so God deserves the praise and the glory there. 
You see, when we look at this message, when we see the message of salvation laid out before us, we see that this message of salvation walks through the entire word of God from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, John 17, 17, Jesus prays this way. He says, sanctify them in the truth for your word is truth. So Peter here in verse 12 is literally affirming Jesus's prayer that the word itself is the truth of life. And at the same time, it's the truth for life. I mean, really, this is why the word of God should be important in our private lives. This is why the word of God and knowing the word of God is so imperative to understanding our salvation. This is why the word of God should permeate everything we do in public worship. You see, the word of God is our guide to daily living. It is our constant reminder and encouragement of the salvation that we now have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when things look hopeless to you, turn to the word of God. When things look bleak to you, turn to the word of God. If you don't have an answer to what's going on in this world, turn to the word of God. If you are looking at the issues that are facing our country right now and you want to know how you should respond as a Christian, turn to the word of God. You see, as a church, we should desire for the public reading of the Bible. And as a church, when we gather, we should desire to pray the Bible. As a church, we should have a desire to to preach the Bible. As a church, we should have a desire to, to sing the Bible. Why? Because we need the whole counsel of God, which is found in the word. This is again why Peter references that we preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you this question this morning. What are we preaching in our churches if it is not the word of God? We are not As Christians, we are not, nor should we ever become a Bible and pick your favorite topic, Christian. Take a step further. We should not be a Bible and pick your favorite Christian book type of Christian or pick your favorite Christian podcast type of Christian. I'm going to go and tell you these other things are good and right. Christian books are good and right for wisdom. Christian podcasts are are good and right for wisdom and for growth. But what we need for salvation in Jesus Christ is found in and through the word of God. I love what Tom Askell says about this particular point. He says it this way. He said, I should know that while I want to listen to anyone who can help me think rightly about any area of life, that what I have in God's word is enough to fulfill my ministry. And these other teachers will serve me only to the degree they help me to understand the word and its implications better. Now again, Tom Askell's got the gift of gap. So maybe that was a whole lot of words to say one simple thing. So let's, let's, let's simplify it a little bit, okay? It's kind of a mouthful. If you've ever heard Tom Askell preach, brother can give you a lot in a little bit of time, okay? So let's simplify it. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon has to say. He says, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Man, Christian, can I tell you something? When you are thinking upon your salvation, 
When you're thinking upon that which concerns your salvation, as Peter talks about, can I just encourage you with Peter's words here? Remain close to the word of God. Stay in the word of God. You want to understand salvation? Then get to know the God of the Bible. Okay, you walk in here today feeling convicted. Maybe you haven't read your Bible in quite a few days, quite a few weeks. I can think of no better day than today to get in the word of God. Get into the Bible. But notice what happens. We continue in our text. Verse 12, last half. Peter says, things into which angels long to look. Think about that. Peter closes this passage with honestly an often glazed over statement because most people don't understand what it is that Peter is talking about. But this is one that I think really is way more powerful than we realize. In fact, this might be the most powerful thing that Peter says in verses 10, 11, and 12. Peter says, listen, like the prophets of the Old Testament, the angels themselves can never fully understand salvation. And so they desire to look upon it. Think about that. Let me unpack what we're talking about here. Angels in heaven can't understand salvation because they never sinned. They don't know sin. They are outside of sin and therefore they are outside of redemption. However, the angels of heaven that worship around the throne of God They have had a front row seat to watching the wonder and the work of God's salvation unfold through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, what is Peter's point here? Don't miss this. If angels get excited about our salvation, something they themselves cannot experience, how much more should we be excited? If angels love to look at the work of God saving sinners, then as beneficiaries of that salvation, not simply onlookers, how much more should we love to look into salvation and praise God for our salvation? I mean, here's the takeaway. We have now experienced what both Old Testament prophets and angels desire to know and experience. And that is the power of salvation. We have experienced what others, both on this earth and in the heavens, have only witnessed or heard about themselves. And does this not overwhelm your soul with what God has done for our good? Does it not overwhelm your soul to know that this salvation work was done not only for our good, but for God's glory? Does it not overwhelm your soul that we live in light of the glorious resurrection and the power that is found in salvation? You see, Peter knew the power and the wonder of salvation. This is why he wrote about it. Peter wanted the church to be reminded of the the amazing gift of grace that was given to them, that, that this gift is salvation through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you know 
the gift? Do you know the gift of salvation? Are you still amazed? Christian in the room, are you still amazed by the gift of salvation? You see, when it comes to salvation, Peter teaches us its value and its worth. You see, according to the word, Jesus Christ predicted salvation. By the word, the prophets longed to see and study salvation. And in prophesying the word, the prophets served us in speaking about salvation. And by the fulfillment of God's promise, according to the word, the angels loved to look upon salvation. This salvation has come from God, prophesied about in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Christ as a part of God's redemptive plan that even the angels love watching it unfold in the lives of his people. That is the power and the beauty and the mystery that is salvation. And so this is what Peter writes to the church about. He writes to the the elect exiles, those who have been scattered, those who are being persecuted. And he writes with hope as he calls the church to think upon their faith concerning this salvation. And as we sing in one of our old hymns, may we ponder anew what the Almighty can do. And let's pray together.